Well, good morning, everybody. Didn't it feel great to walk across the parking lot and have to squint a little on your way in and the temperatures are warming. Spring has finally arrived. It took a little longer this year, but it sure was a joy to drive in and see the sun rising like it was this morning. A special shout out and welcome to everyone joining us online or maybe listening on the podcast a little bit later on. I want to introduce you to the newest member of the Eagle family. I'd like to introduce you to Evangeline Celeste Ashraf, Chuck and Stephanie. She was born on Friday afternoon. I had the privilege of hanging out with them yesterday at the hospital. And shout out to the Ashrafs. I think they're streaming with us right now from St. Vincent Carmel and hang out with us that way. And I think Stephanie's parents, are you here? Stephanie's parents, I thought they were going to be worshiping with us. They have, there they are back there. Congratulations, Grandma and Grandpa. What a special time for you. Chuck and Stephanie have um, an older daughter, Mariah, who's just about two years old, and now little Evangeline, and her name means good news. And they named her because she herself is good news, obviously the beauty of that uh, life. And then we prayed that God would cause her feet to bring his good news wherever she goes all the days of her life. So congratulations to the Ashraf family. Now, I want to know everybody who ran the mini marathon yesterday. A show of hands who was down at the mini, 35,000 runners. Come on, get your hands up good and tall. It's okay. All right. Now, listen. All right. Good job. Who was under two hours? And I want to know about the full runners now, not the people who took the shortcut of the 5K or any of that stuff. I'm looking for the 13.1ers here. Who was under two hours? Hands up good and tall. All right. Good job. Good job. Good job. Under 145, hand up if you're under 145. Anybody? Oh boy. That's all right. Good job still. I was looking for sub 145 or sub 130. Great job, 13.1 milers and 35,000 of them. And I remember I've, I've ran it a few times. I didn't do it this year. The, I just turned 49 and my joints are telling me there's wiser decisions than, than pounding that for 13.1. Anyway, I remember the one year I ran it and I think I was right around maybe mile marker four or five and they had this like big jumbotron video screen and, the, and I saw a Kenyan who was just kind of heading in the home stretch and he was like peeling a banana, you know, and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not even at the halfway pole yet. Oh, that's great. Well, you know that um, God has a heart for runners, not just the mini marathon type runners, but God has a heart for the, I know what you want me to do, God, but I'm just going to choose to kind of push that aside and do my own thing type runner. Or, or, or the, I, I, know, I know you, God, I have a, a relationship with you, God, I have a history with you, God. But I just kind of drifted and ended up somewhere I didn't kind of imagine myself being type running. It's the running in the spirit of a prodigal son of Luke 15 or the elder brother of Luke 15 running. It's, it's the running of Saul of Tarsus in Acts 9. It's the running of Peter when the rooster's crowing at the end of Matthew 26, laying face down, it never will hill. Never would I ever do that, Lord. And the rooster crows, having done that which you never imagined doing type running. You see, the God of the Bible, the God that Jesus reveals to us, is a God for runners. Hallelujah. 
And then there's this, there's this whole book in the Bible that you could label it a book for runners. It's actually written by the prophet for runners. We could call him the prodigal prophet. It's Jonah. And Jonah's this prodigal prophet writing to prodigal people from a prodigal God because God has a heart for runners. And we're entering into this three-week series this morning. I'm so glad you're here for this. I think the month of May is going to be an amazing month for us as a church as we dive in with Jonah. And here's kind of the premise for where we're headed this month. It doesn't matter where you've run to. It doesn't matter how long you've run there. It doesn't matter what you've run into. You are not beyond the love and grace and pursuit of our great God. You are not. And this is a month where I want to declare at the beginning of the month. This is a month for a whole bunch of runners to come home. This is the month. So open up your Bibles, book of Jonah. Now, to help you find it, you need to turn to the New Testament, Matthew, and you need to go eight books left. If you try to start in Genesis and find it, you'll be hanging out looking for it for most of this message here. So start in Matthew, turn eight books back left, and you'll find Jonah. Now, I'm indebted to Robbie Zacharias, Eugene Peterson, Andy Stanley. Their writings and teachings have helped me a lot in putting this series together. So here's a little backdrop with Jonah. Pull out your notes if you haven't done so, or fire up your app, and they're there electronically for you as well. I put a little background comments on Jonah there at the top because it's helpful to get a little context to who this guy is. Being a prophet of God, here's an interesting, he's one of the 12 minor prophets, Now, the Bible, minor and major doesn't have to do with influence. It has to simply do with size of their writings. So it's one of the smaller prophetic letters in the Old Testament, and he's one of those 12. And Jonah's name literally means a symbol of peace. It was named after a dove. And Jonah is this great picture of, it appears that just knowledge about God or history with God doesn't exempt you from drifting or running from God. So perhaps those who've been around and aware of who Jesus is and familiar with his ways might be prone to identify with, I think there's a Jonah in all of us. And Jonah enters the scene right on the heels of Elisha. Now you know the prophet Elijah, and then he handed the baton to Elisha. Elisha dies in 2 Kings 13. He hands the baton to Jonah, the prophetic baton. The role of the prophets was this. The prophets were raised up to speak God's word and represent God's character to God's people because the kings of that day weren't interested in hearing and listening to God. So God raised up prophets. So the prophet's life was not very welcoming and accommodating. It wasn't a comfortable life because the kings, so he, he enters the scene, Jeroboam II is on the throne. So at the beginning in Jonah 1, you can write 2 Kings 14, that's when he enters the story. Jeroboam II's on the throne, and he's continuing a 150-year reign from Jeroboam I and his predecessors, which basically hears their reign and rule. It's a commentary when you read through Kings and Chronicles. Some of you read through it and go, how many times am I going to hear this line? And they did what was evil In the eyes of the Lord. And they did even more evil than all the kings before him. You remember reading that line over and over and over again if you've read through the Kings and Chronicles? Well, this is Jeroboam II. There's rebellion. There's no interest in listening to God. They're going to do their own thing their own way. They're running. The whole nation is running. And here's Jonah handed the baton from Elisha. Probably was like, good luck with that. And then go. And he's going to speak God's word and represent God's name. 
at a time of very difficult history in the northern kingdom of Israel. So the nation of Israel has split at this point. There's 10 northern tribes and two southern tribes called Judah. Northern kingdom of Israel is called Israel, southern kingdom called Judah. And Jeroboam is king over the northern kingdom at this time, and Jonah is a prophet to the northern kingdom. Now he's got two kind of associates with him, Amos and Hosea. So they were prophesying at the same time as Jonah. So that sets us up. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. That's very common for how God was handling prophets. The word would come to them. And then he has an assignment, son of Amittai. Here's the assignment, verse 2. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. So Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. Now, geographically, it's, it's located in modern-day Iraq, 220 miles north of Baghdad, Mosul. There's a lot of things written about Mosul because it's still a, a stronghold with a lot of military issues going on. ISIS has all kinds of things going on, a lot of death and destruction. So the history goes all the way back to when Nineveh was the capital and Assyrians. Here's the reputation of the Assyrians. The Assyrians were known to boast of live dismemberment for their mass torture and cruelty. They would cut off noses and ears. They would gouge out eyes. They would pull out the tongue. They would sever one hand and leave the other hand attached so they could shake the hand of the person dying. They made parades of the heads of the people that they decapitated. And they made the friends or the family of the beheaded carry the pole with their head through the streets. They stretched out their prisoners with ropes to get them so stretched that they could skin them alive. And they would hang the skins of the people on the walls of the city. This is Nineveh. It didn't get high reviews on TripAdvisor. You wouldn't want to go hang out at Nineveh. You weren't looking to take a vacay at Nineveh. And this is God's assignment to Jonah. Jonah, I need you to go to that city, and I need you to speak my word and my name and my character to those people. That's why there's loaded in that statement wickedness of that city. So his response, verse 3. But Jonah, underline, ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to underline, flee from the Lord. So here's a map to give us a little context here. So you see, there's Nineveh over in modern-day Iraq. There's Joppa just on the shores there of Israel. And there's Tarshish. So God says, hey, your assignment is to go to to Nineveh north and east. And Jonah's response is, no, I'm going down to a port called Jamba. I'm punching a ticket and getting on a boat, and I'm heading as far to the west as you could possibly. That's like the ends of the earth at that day. You need to understand. That's like, look at it on the map. That's in southern, so Tarshish is in, uh, it's a Phoenician city in southern Spain, just west of Gibraltar. And it was known as the westernmost part of the, of the Mediterranean world. So it's 2,000 miles west of where God had instructed him to go. Is that not a commentary on the Jonah and all of us? Right? How many times in our lives have we known beyond a shadow of a doubt, God wants us in Nineveh, we're punching our ticket 2,000 miles west to Tarshish. That's Jonah. He's running. He knows what God wants him to do. He's heard the word of the Lord clearly. 
he's simply not interested, and for some good reasons, right? He's, he's thinking it's, it's not the place I really want to hang out, the reputation of the Ninevites. And I put a great quote in your notes from Ravi Zacharias. He says, when you know something to be right, hear this now, and you're not living according to it. So you know something to be right, and you're not living according to it. Hear this. You will never stand still. You have to move in the opposite direction. That's to Jonah in all of us. So first of three observations this morning from chapter one. When you run from God, you usually run to the strangest places. When you run from God, you usually run to the strangest places. I remember the first time I can recall running away from home. I was probably 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there. And I'd packed up my little bright orange Tampa Bay Buccaneers duffel bag with my name stitched on the side. It was one of those super cool. Now, why am I a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan in the middle of Iowa? Who knows? You know, that's what a you know, young boy, I liked orange, so I picked Tampa Bay. And uh, so I had my bright white Tampa Bay bag and I packed it up with some clothes and I marched out the door. It's like, I don't, you know, why was I running away? You know, it was probably the same thing. Like, you know, too many chores, not enough freedom. You know, too many rules, not enough Stretch Armstrong time. Right? Remember Stretch Armstrong days? All those. I don't know what it was, but I was, gone. I was, I was running. And I started chugging up the street. We lived on a hill. And I get to the top of the hill. I hadn't really thought this through. Beyond just, I was preoccupied with running away but I haven't given, given a lot of thought to where I was running to. So I got to the top of the street, and I, and I, I really didn't know where I was going to go. Which, by the way, mom and dad are just so wise, you know, beyond their years. And the older you get, the more wise your parents seem, right, over and over again. And, and they just graciously ask a few questions and kind of, I think my dad might open the door for me. <laughs> All right. See you later. They knew. They knew I was set on running away, but hadn't really thought about where I'm running to. I got to the top of the hill. I turned around. You know where my running away landed me? On our front porch. There I was sitting, my duffel bag pouting, running away. See, when you make a decision to run, you're often... See, when you run from something, you're going to run to something else. But you usually run to the strangest places. Like, singles run to marriage. Married people run to singleness. Most of us run to change anything. Change spouses, change children, change jobs, change cities, change churches, change friends. Just run and change. Now, when we do that... It usually lands us in this place. There's a Bible word for where it lands us when we're running and we end up in that. The Bible word is the land called foolishness. You say, well, why is that? Why is it when we run from God, we go to strange places, using the land of foolishness, usually making some really unwise choices in the running? We're not really thinking it through. Because when you run from God, you're running from the source of the greatest wisdom and truth there ever has been. When you run from God, you're unplugging from wisdom and truth. And where you land up, where you end up is in the land of foolishness. Oh, look at Jonah. 
Jonah takes, he says, God, I know you want me to go to Nineveh. I'm going to punch a ticket to Joppa. Now listen, taking a boat ride during that day through the Mediterranean, that was a terrible decision. That was life-threatening at its core. It was the longest boat ride he could take. And in a moment, we're going to see where that landed him. But do you see, there's foolishness in his choices because he was running from God, not really thinking through where he's running to. Just got to get away from him. I'm going to run. I'm going to drift. I'm going to stiff arm God. I call it giving him the spiritual Heisman, where you just kind of, you know what, God? I hear you. I see you. I know you. But I'm going to do my own thing, my own way, and my own time. And then we don't really give thought to when that decision, when we unplug from the source of wisdom and truth, you know what that leads us to do? We end up stiff-arming people of wisdom and truth. So you've got people that will come into your life and try to help you, and you give them the spiritual Heisman. And then you know what you also do? You run from places of wisdom and truth. So places that are trying to help point you back to a source of wisdom, you give them the spiritual Heisman. You stiff-arm God. You stiff-arm people, you stiff-arm places, you go to the strangest places, you end up pouting on the front porch. Jonah. Now watch what happens now in the story. Verse 4. Then the Lord. I want you to underline that. Repeat that after me. Then the Lord. Say it again. Then the Lord. Three words. Anybody got some then the Lord moments in your life? Huh? Perhaps you being here at this moment to hear this message or sitting wherever you're sitting listening to it or maybe someone encouraged you to listen and you're listening to it days or weeks after it's here. Perhaps that's evidence of this very moment, this very book, this series, and this message is a then the Lord. What are those then the Lord? I mean, we all have got them, right? Then the Lord's are when we're going 2,000 miles the other direction from where God wants us to go. Hallelujah. Isn't this an amazing picture? God doesn't give up on us. If ever there's an image of a prophet that God could have said, you know what, I'm going to take the baton from Jonah and I'm going to give it over to Amos and some other guys because he's clearly off the reservation. God doesn't give up on Jonah and he doesn't give up on you and he doesn't give up on me. Even when we punch our ticket to Tarshish, even when we run and we run to the strangest places and we make some foolish decisions and unwise choices, God doesn't give up on us. That's his heart for runners. That's his heart for you. That's his heart for me. Then the Lord. Then the Lord. And I have a feeling every blue chair here has a then the Lord moment. And if not, just keep living. You'll have a then the Lord when God steps in and shows you you are not beyond his pursuing love and grace. Then the Lord. Then the Lord. So here's Jonah. He's on a boat. He's headed the exact opposite direction God wants him to go. So then the Lord, verse 4, sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Which, by the way, those are all good words. If you need a vocabulary for then the Lord moments, here's your vocabulary. Violent wind, storm, things breaking apart. Then the Lord. 
That's when you know. You know, your life starts breaking apart. God sends waves. God sends storms. God sends chaos. Then the Lord steps in, and things feel like they're falling apart. So then the Lord moment. And you'll see, we'll get to this, but you'll see God's not trying to wreck your life. He's trying to turn your life. Get you to turn. It's like Jonah. I'm not giving up on you. I know you've given up on yourself. I know a lot of people have given up on you, but I want you to know one thing. I've not given up on you. Hallelujah, God is that way. Verse 5, all the sailors were afraid, I bet, and each cried out to his own God. So here he is, he joins this ship. There's not a God-fearing group of sailors on there. It's truly like sailor speak going on here, right? Cussing like sailors type of thing right here. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. That's how bad the storm is. That's why you don't punch your ticket for a long boat ride back in Jonah's day over the Mediterranean. That's not wisdom. There are a lot of places to run to, Jonah. Taking a long boat ride across the Mediterranean, not good. Foolish. They didn't think that through. But, what's it say Jonah's doing? But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Huh. How about that? So I put in my notes, your second observation, when you're running, you're often the last person to make the connection. I want you to see how everyone in the story appears to be connecting the dots but Jonah here. Right? Waves are crashing, sea, storm, wind, ship, cargo over, this is crisis moment, and where's Jonah? Napping in the belly of the ship. When we're running, here's what happened. When we're running, our parents see it. Our grandparents see it. Our friends see it. Our work associates see it. Heavens, even strangers on the boat, the sailors see it. Like, hey, something's up with this guy sleeping in the belly of the boat. Everyone sees it but Jonah. And that's what happens to us when we're running from God. We're kind of just... We don't, we don't connect all the dots. We don't see it the way. We've got people speaking to us. We've got life group members reaching out to us. We've got mentors. We've got parents. We've got grandparents. We've got people handing us books, sending us text messages, trying to point us to wisdom and truth. And we can't connect the dots to the violent wind, the raging storm, the stuff breaking apart in our life. We can't connect the dots to that and running from God. It's a gift, by the way, of those friendships. You know the people who truly love you and are in your boat rowing the direction you need to go when they're the kind of people who don't give up on you as well. Even when you're giving them the spiritual Heisman, even when you're stiff-arming them and pushing them away, don't you have some people in your life who just keep moving towards you? They probably irritate the daylights out of you when you're running. But that's God's heart for you. They don't give up. They're the ones who send you that text, hey, haven't seen you in a while. Just wanted you to know I was thinking about you, praying for you. What is that? That's a them the Lord. That's the Lord trying to say, hey, come back. But we're often, when we're running, we don't. Because we're just kind of bound up in the running, we're just kind of asleep. We're just, I mean, the whole ship's about to go down, and Jonah's taking a nap. That's such a commentary on our lives spiritually at times. Your life is unraveling at an unbelievable rate. You are piling down the slopes to, tar- to Tarshish, and you're asleep. 
And you got everyone in your life raising the flag and shining the light and reaching out. And you can't connect the dots. It's Jonah. Hallelujah, the story keeps going now. Look at, jump down to verse 8. So now this is the crew. They go down and they ask him. They wake him up from his nap. Tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? Do you see? They're starting to connect the dots. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? What does that tell you about what Jonah told them? Uh, he, he didn't tell them much. Have you noticed this other part of when we're running from God? We're not very transparent. You with me? Yeah, we like hiddenness when we're running, right? Maybe barely know my name, but certainly not going to know really who I am and really where I'm supposed to go, really what my identity is. When we're running, we're not interested in any of that. When we're running, we just want a little hiddenness. We don't want transparency. We don't want authenticity. They have to ask all these questions. Like, who are you? Where are you from? Where are you going? What do you do for a living? All that stuff. And now he answers, I'm a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. <laughs> this terrified them, I bet. They ask, what have you done? <laughs> they knew he was running away from the Lord. Underline that. Running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. So, ah. So here's a little insight into Jonah. He actually was coming to grips. Isn't this true when we're running? We know it's usually in those quiet moments. At the end of a day, we put our head on our pillow. We're watching the ceiling fan spin. And we go, I know I'm running. But Romans 1 says, here's what we know. We suppress the truth we know in our heart and we exchange it for a lie. That's what you can write by that verse right there, Romans 1. It's a Romans 1 moment for Jonah. He's kind of like, I know I'm running, uh, I'm going to sleep. I know I'm running, I'm going to sleep. Suppress the truth, exchange it for a lie. Because in his heart of hearts, he knows the Spirit of God's not leaving him alone. He knows he's supposed to go to Nineveh. He knows he's supposed to follow and obey. But he's just going to roll over and go back to sleep. Verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they ask him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Verse 12, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now, at what point do you think Jonah's starting to connect the dots? Like, when is the awakening starting to happen inside of him? You know what I picture it? I picture it when the two sailors, like, one grabs the arms and the other grabs the legs, and they're going like this, and they're like, hey, one, two. And then one says, hey, wait, wait, is it, is it throw on three, or is it three, then throw? And they're like, right there. I think at that moment, I think Jonah's like, uh, yeah. Okay, Lord, I, I think I'm starting to get this now. Throw me in the sea. It's going to calm down. Which now a little time out with this whole story. Some of you approach Jonah and go, Eric, it's just so hard for me to believe this whole storyline about Jonah. Is it a myth? Is it true? Here's, here's what's enough for me in it. Jesus believed the truth and authenticity of Jonah. If Jesus believed it, enough for me. So even though it's hard for us to imagine the sequence going like this, this is an actual life. This is an actual story. These are actual events to the degree that Jesus is going to use it and apply it to his life, death, burial, and resurrection. He's going to use Jonah. 
So here we go. We got, okay, Jonah's like, here's the idea. And the guys are like, one, two. No, 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 we can't do it, we can't do it. And they, they, they set him down. Here, see, what's what happens next. Verse 13, instead the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. They're like, we can't do it. We can't throw you in. Like you're gonna die. If you've ever been out on the large open waters, many of you take cruises, and can you just imagine out when the sea's really raging, and can you imagine just getting tossed out into that? That's kind of what they're like, we can't just do this to this guy. He's gonna die. Then they cried to the Lord. How ironic is that? The sailors now. The sailors are crying out to the Lord. You know things are getting desperate. Oh, Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O oh Lord, have done as you please. So they recognize, see, they connected all the dots. They're like, this storm's of God. This is a man of God. He's rebelling against God. The only way to deal with it is we've got to toss him in. They're like, oh, Lord, kind of like Pilate, washing his hands. Like, hey, we'll wash our hands of this, please. Verse 15, then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So the first observation from, from this chapter is when we run from God, we run to the strangest places. We usually end up on the front porch pouting in the land of foolishness. Second observation is when we run from God, we're usually the last person to recognize it, to connect the dots to really what's going on. And the third observation is you can run from God, but you cannot outrun God. You can run from God, but you can't outrun him. You can punch your ticket to Tarshish. You have the free will, you can do that. You can receive this message and this whole series this month. You can receive it, internalize it, and dismiss it and go back to your own ways. You can do that, but hear this loud and clear. You will deal with God. You will. You can't run from God and then just choose to not deal with Him. It's this amazing character quality he has of omnipresence. He's everywhere. Like if you notice with God when you try to run from Him, how does it work when you run from someone who's everywhere? answer would be not wise. I mean, that's not going to work. Psalm 139, David wrote about that. He says, everywhere I try to run, you're there. Yes. You know what? God, the God we worship and serve is even the God on the waters to Tarshish. You can run from him, but you can't outrun him. Hallelujah. And that's some of your story sitting right here right now. And I want you to see this now on why God is just so relentless in his pursuit. His heart towards us. He never gives up. It doesn't matter where we run, how long we run, how often we run, what we've run into. God just keeps coming for us. I want you to see this now. He keeps coming for us, hear this, not to pay us back. God is not trying to get Jonah, throwing him in the water to pay him back. That's not it. He's coming for us not to pay us back, but to win us back and bring us back. That's the heart of God to you and me. So how can you make that statement? Because we're on this side of the cross. What did Jesus do for all our running and rebelling and drifting? What did he do? Jesus took and bore the price. He paid the price. It's not about paying back now. It's about winning back. It's about bringing back. It's about grace. 
It's about a relentless pursuit of redemption and reconciliation and relationship. You can run all you want from God, but you cannot outrun him. He'll keep coming for you all the way to the end. You may be getting to your last breath in life. You may be whisked into the hospice wing. You may have that conversation, or you can choose it right here and right now. He's coming for you, not to pay you back, but to win you back and bring you back. That's the heart of God towards all the Jonah in us. I remember a time when I was trying to take off to Tarshish. One of many running points in my life. 2001, there's a lot going on here in church life in 2001. You Eagle veterans know all about 2000, 2001. We had just moved up from Pike Township and moved into this facility. And there was just, it was crazy amount of growth, all kinds of new families coming. It took a ton of energy and strength just to get this place built, and so many of you put so much sweat equity into physically getting this done. We were just exhausted on so many fronts, and yet there were so many families coming, and we were trying to hire staff at all the same time to keep up with the growth. And, and I remember sitting in some interviews. We were interviewing some potential new staff, and we were enamored with the giftedness of these couple staff members, and there were some red lights on the character side. And those of you who do a lot of hiring in your life, you know sometimes you just go, you know what, we're just going to, we're going to kind of overlook the red light on the character because man, this guy or this gal is incredibly gifted. And we did that twice. How does that work out usually? Run the tape out on that, right? When you choose giftedness over character, when that gap gets too wide, too long, implode is only a matter of time. It's no longer a question of if, it's just when. Well, we chose giftedness over character, and running the tape out over this next year was just this one particular staff member just decided that, you know, they wanted to just kind of basically take over Eagle Church and had all kinds of visions and dreams, and when he realized he couldn't really take over this church as it is, he decided he wanted to take as many uh, people and leaders from Eagle Church and go start his own church that way. This was all unraveling. It was a mess with a capital M on so many fronts. Well, right in the middle of that mess, I picked up the phone and called Steve Swinney, the chair of our elder board. Steve and Michelle are back here. They still worship here at Eagle. And Steve, maybe you remember this phone call, but I, I called Steve. We talked often during that stretch, as you might imagine. But this day I called him. I said, hey, Steve, Kendra and I are going to take a weekend and go up to Trinity, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School up in Deerfield, Illinois. We're going to go up there. I've kind of looked into a doctorate program. Steve, to be candid with you, I'm just thinking, you know what, this might be best for our next chapter of life. Maybe just enroll in a doctorate program and Steve, being a good elder that he was, he just asked a few questions, committed to pray for us, said, hey, give me a call on your way back. So Kendra and I went. We took the drive up, we spent the weekend at Trinity, went to all the sessions, heard about all the programs, spent some time praying and talking about it. And on the drive back, I called Steve. Hey, Swin, how did you know? You knew, didn't you? Like, like, like you knew Trinity really wasn't God's direction for our lives. You knew Trinity was really kind of an, an escape for the pressures and the mess we're going through at Eagle. You knew kind of in the language of Jonah, you, you knew it was just kind of my Tarshish at this moment. 
You, you, you knew all of that. You knew that God really hadn't released us from ministry at Eagle. You knew all of that, didn't you, Steve? He said, yeah, I knew. Then he said this. He said, hey, but what that weekend was for you and Kendra is it was your journey to know him. That was your time to come to grips with, to know what really God was up to in all of that. And so we drove back, and we stepped back in, and, and here we still are, still chugging along together. You see, it was, it was, a, it was a then the Lord combined with a, a now the Lord. You have those then the Lord, there's, a, there's another phrase. Look in verse 17, look here now. Verse 17 says, but the Lord in the NIV. Do you know what the TNIV, some of your translations say, now the Lord. Say now the Lord with me, now the Lord. Say, then the Lord, now the Lord. That's what verse 17, see? Now the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. You see, you can run from God, but you cannot outrun God. Our drive down I-65 that afternoon in 2001 was a then the Lord, now the Lord moment. He says, hey, you can run. You're going to run to some strange places, uh, you might not connect the dots that you're, you're, you're running, but you're not going to outrun God. And in your running, know this. God's going to keep running after you. He's going to keep pursuing. He's going to keep coming. Not to pay you back, but to win you back and bring you back. So I'm going to wrap up this morning a little bit differently. Here's how I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to give you seven more days to run. I'm going to be candid with you. I'm going to give you seven more days. This is a heart-to-heart week. I'm putting all my cards on the table. Next Sunday's Mother's Day, okay? Moms, tune in with me now. If you've been counting lights or whatever, come on back. Come on back. Okay. Moms, grandmas, Mother's Day next weekend. I'm asking you to spend every mother's, grandmother's chip in your pocket. I'm asking you to spend them on this. I'm asking you to bring some runners. You've got some runners in your life. We all have runners. Bring them. Next Sunday, bring some runners. We'll put our whole service together with this central reality. Next Sunday morning, I'm praying for such an outpouring of the Spirit that we see dozens and dozens and dozens of runners come home. And some of you hearing this message right now, you know you're one of them. And I'm giving you seven more days to sort this out. I want you to have heart-to-hearts with the Lord this week. And I want you to come in next Sunday. Because here's what we're going to be in Jonah chapter 2. And here's what we're going to do with Jonah. We're going to go with Jonah from this place of running to this place of surrender and coming home. So can we do that this week? Can you pray with me? And not just the moms and the grandmas. Everybody, let's all pray. God, who are some runners? And let's bring some runners with us. God's got a heart for runners. And next Sunday, by the power of his spirit and the grace of Jesus, some runners are going to come home and they're going to go with Jonah in that place of surrender. And there's going to be a, a defining moment in our service next week for that decision to take place. So I know it's an odd kind of ending to this message, but it's, it's honest. I'm giving you seven days, runners. Run for seven more, 
But know this, though you can run from God, you cannot outrun him. He's coming for you, not to pay you back, but to win you back and bring you back. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this amazing prophet who would write so honestly about his journey of running that it speaks to the Jonah in all of us. And so I'm praying for the runners that are hearing this now or hearing it throughout the week. I'm praying that you would so work in our hearts and in the heart of our church, in our expanded network out, that you would gather us back together next Sunday morning for a homecoming that you will receive great glory. I think you've begun some work of surrender this morning. Continue it on this week and bring it to completion next Sunday, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to wrap up here with a final song. Ushers are going to come, receive our tithes, offerings, communication card. That card there in your program, you can use that. Maybe there's some things you want us to be praying. Maybe there's some family members, some friends. You want to write some first names down of just, hey, you want the prayer team interceding. I think we should probably put some names on that for some runners that we're going to be praying for this week. Put that down, and we will commit as a body to intercede uh, name by name for that. And then when the offering basket comes by, just whisper a prayer of gratitude. You know, all the funds that we give around here at the core of the ministry is to extend this message that Jesus is the kind of God who's out there to pursue, to win us back and bring us back. And that we want to extend that message to our neighborhoods and the nations. And that's what these gifts are about.